Genesis 41, and I'm going to read through verse 45, so it's a bit of a longer section, but that's the way these narrative sections are. They're, they're, they're sometimes a little long. Now, I'm coming into a section that that is, you're, you're kind of, it's like you're being brought right into the middle of a story, and you've missed uh, a good section of it, so let me just briefly summarize. It's the story of Joseph, a well-known figure in the Bible. Uh, and yet, we see up until this point, Joseph has had a very, very difficult life. In fact, let me save some of the words. I'll, I'll speak more of that. Uh, his difficulties, his trials, we could say his humiliation. And today, the sermon title is called The Exaltation of Joseph. He, he underwent humiliation and his being thrown into the pit by his brothers, is being sold into slavery, is being falsely accused and thrown into prison, but now he is to be exalted. And we will hear about that exaltation in Genesis 41. Hear then the word of the living and true God, not the word of men. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. Pharaoh awoke. <coughs> And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the ch and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office. And the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when, they had sh and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is none who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke, and I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered and thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years, uh, of the good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people, people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, Bow the knee 
Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Now may God bless not only the reading, but the preaching of his inspired and inerrant word. Well, I handed at it already, but uh, for those who have followed my sermons, or if you remember the passage leading up to this, uh, Joseph, his life up until this point has been going in one direction. And it's not up, is it? It's down. Yeah, my son knows for this morning. Down, down, down. He keeps going. Uh, In chapter 37, he's presented as the beloved son of his father. And that father delights in his son and robes him with royal robes. But the beloved son is betrayed by his brothers, his jealous brothers who look at the recognition that he receives and cannot stand him. And so they threw him into a pit, they sold him him into slavery, and they present him to his father through his ripped, torn, bloody garments as though dead. And it would seem he really had entered into a realm of death. Joseph then goes into the household of Potiphar. Just when you think it can't get any worse, then you, you do you do all that you've been told to do well, and yet you are falsely accused. He's accused there of basically being a sexual predator, and he's thrown into jail after Potiphar's wife makes up this story that he's been trying to, to take her by force, which he did not. And while in jail, though, that, that's what is in the previous chapter, we learn something very important for this chapter. By the hand of God and by the power of God, Joseph, can interpret dreams. He's been a man full of dreams. He had dreams when he was a young man that his brothers and father and mother would fall down before him. And then he gets the dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker. Uh, And now, in this chapter, he has other dreams, the dreams of Pharaoh. Of course, uh, that last chapter ended with uh, the the cupbearer, who Joseph told, he said, hey, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be restored. When you get restored, remember me. And the last words, interestingly, of chapter 40 are, he did not remember him, but forgot him. (laughs) And in my sermon previous to this, I talked about various ways in which God did not forget him. God still remembered him. I won't bring up all those ways that I preached in chapter 40, but the ways in which God was remembering Joseph were, were really, in many respects, kind of hidden ways, the ways of providence and so forth. But the ways in which God is going to remember Joseph now are not hidden to any of whatsoever. It will be on display uh, of all. And so, the, again, the sermon title is The Exaltation of Joseph. And what I want us to consider is how Joseph in this passage is exalted in wisdom and he is exalted in power. The exaltation of Joseph, he's exalted in wisdom, and he is exalted in power. 
Now, what about this wisdom business? Is this uh, just some sort of clever uh, teaching tool that the pastor came up with? And it's okay when you get tools to guide people. But uh, what I'm getting at is, is that wisdom idea central to the text. And in fact, when we look at the text, it is. It's not just a teaching tool. Uh, the chapter begins, we, we saw, with a very disconcerting dream that Pharaoh has. Uh, we are told in verse 1 that this dream takes place two whole years after the dreams of the last chapter. Now, that is somewhat important because uh, if you notice what went on in the last chapter, that those dreams, which were two whole years before this, the, the, the time when, when Joseph got those dreams and interpreted them, and the, the one, one guy was lifted up to have his head taken off him, and the other guy was lifted up to be restored, that happens, we are told, on Pharaoh's birthday. It's somewhat unclear. Is that his, the actual day of his birth? In the ancient world, a birthday could be actually the day in which the king assumed the throne, right? But whether either of these meanings, it is clearly a day there were, where there would have been great celebration. And so now, we're two years out from the birthday. The, the date is probably the birthday again. These are not the kind of dreams that you want to be having on the great celebration of your reign over the mightiest power of the world, right? These troubling dreams. In fact, that word that is translated trouble can mean in Hebrew, beaten. And by that, we see how really, you know, Pharaoh was a mess. He was terribly vexed by this dream, these dreams that he had. And so he, he does the best that he can. He, he reaches for his his best helpers, who are the magicians and the wise men. Or in this case, the you know, the supposedly wise men, because none of them can help him at all. They are clueless to interpret these dreams. And before we move on, I want to make a point, uh, a point to help you understand what very, very often happens in the Old Testament. Very often, the Lord will choose a champion of wisdom in the Old Testament to challenge and take on the, the champions of the wisdom of this world. We see that going on here in this passage uh, where, where the, the wise men of Egypt fall down before Joseph, who excels in wisdom. Later, uh, Moses will confront the magicians and the wise men of Egypt and will triumph over them. And then finally, you know, you get to Daniel, where he undergoes wisdom trials and tests and he excels over there. There's a lot of similarities between Daniel and Joseph, by the way, in the food tests and the wisdom tests, the dreams of interpretation. In fact, when you get to Daniel, uh, that king, he won't even tell people what the dreams are. He says, no, you tell me what my dream is, and then you interpret it. And of course, none of them can do it except Daniel. And so... Uh, and so there's this really this contest of wisdom. Who is the true champion of wisdom? And wisdom is, is found, as, as Joseph says again and again, it is of God. It is through God. And we know who the champion is. We know all that we need to know about how this contest works out from verse 39 where we read this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, 
there is none so discerning and what? Wise as you are. You are a champion of wisdom, Joseph. He is triumphant in his wisdom over the wise men of Egypt. And so the wisdom of God always triumphs over the wisdom of this world. Something we can think of a little bit more later. But notice that Joseph is not, uh, he not only interprets the dream, this, this Hebrew slave is daring and bold enough to counsel the mightiest man in the world as to what he should now do about it. Uh, very daring, but God grants boldness to his servants. Great boldness found in resting in the Lord, who is mightier than the kings of earth. However, the true natures of Joseph's uh, triumph in wisdom is not seen in his besting the Egyptian wise men, but in something else that's a little hard to, to see in English. In fact, I think it's almost impossible to see in English. But it's, it's, it's there in Hebrew, and I'd like to bring it out to you. Um, it's seen in the language used of his interpreting the dream. Note that in verse 26... Joseph interprets the first seven cows. They come up, and what does he says? He says they're good. He calls them good. It's not just like, wow, what a good little cow, you know? It's so nice. There's something more. Furthermore, he tells us in verse 26 and 35 that these good cows correspond to the seven good cows correspond to seven good years. Moreover, back in verse 5, from the beginning of the chapter, going back all weave through this, the first seven uh, ears of grain are described by Joseph as good. It's the very simple Hebrew word tov. But that's not all. Well, well jo Joseph, and, and what this is bringing to, to, uh, to recognition is that Joseph is able to recognize the good. But that's not all that we need to see in verses 4 19, 21, and 27, Joseph describes a second seven cows, and the word that translates that is translated there is the ugly cows. The ugly cows. Uh, that's the part that may not uh, communicate very well. The word ugly is the simple Hebrew word ra, which most commonly means evil. There's the there's the good cows, and there's there's this ugly evil cows. What's all this interpretation back and forth, good and evil, evil and good, bringing out? It's, it's showing us that this champion of wisdom is truly able to discriminate between the good and the evil. Now, can you think of another person in the book of Genesis who was challenged to properly identify good and evil? Well, of course you can the, the book opens with a man who cannot properly identify good and evil. He is tested at the tree of what? Of the knowledge of good and evil. The book begins with a man who cannot properly recognize or discriminate or choose the good over the evil, but ends with one who does so uh, amazingly, who triumphs in wisdom, true wisdom. And here is where we see, you know, something truly wonderful and special in Joseph. One, something which is leading us to one even far greater than Joseph. 
But Joseph exalts, is exalted not only in wisdom, but also in power. He not only bests the wise men of Egypt, he is wise, they are not. He can discern good over evil. But he is exalted in power. And the reason why is because, as we already said, um, he goes beyond a mere interpretation of the dreams to give a plan, a strategy. He is, we can say, man with a plan. And Pharaoh is very impressed by this. What is the plan? Store up all the excess of grain during these excessive, bounteous, good years, uh, and then save that for the terrible years of famine, which are to follow. And his Pharaoh's response is to pay homage to the wisdom of God's servant by exalting him to a powerful, powerful, powerful position. Verse 40 says it all. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Put yourself in Joseph's position for a moment. You know, this is a story, but it is a true story. <laughs> it actually happened. Can you imagine? Uh, there you are one day. Uh, you're the guy who now, it's been 13 years for him. He was betrayed and sold into slavery, treated as dead, you know, throw, uh, sold into Potiphar's house. Uh, he was falsely accused. He was sent to prison. And in one day, in one moment, he is raised to the second most powerful position in, in, in the earth. Egypt is the, is the powerhouse of the world, uh, politically and militarily, at the time. He goes from having nothing to having everything. We see Joseph's further exaltation in verse 42. We see that Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now, the signet ring is very important because in the ancient world, that's like your your driver's license and ID, right? You know, your, your signet ring, you can take that ring and, and stamp it on things. It's the sign that, okay, this is now, this is my word. And Pharaoh gives him his signet ring. He is now able to speak on behalf of the mightiest man in the world. And as interesting and, and significant as that is, what I think is more significant and maybe missed are the garments that he is given. The garments. Uh, these royal garments that he is given. Uh, in fact, if you think about it, each significant scene in the life of Joseph has involved garments, right? So when we first find out about Joseph, he receives that wonderful robe from his father, and it is stripped from him by his brothers. And then we next see him in Potiphar's house, where he is falsely accused. Again, the garments stripped from him, literally, as he... You know, Pharaoh's wife is after him and, and won't let him go. And he just goes and leaves the garment in her hand. That's it. Pharaoh's wife, Potiphar's wife. Pardon Potiphar's wife was after him. But by preserving, persevering, trusting, and rendering obedience, the day finally comes when Joseph will be truly robed in royal garments. And it reminds us of the garment 
robing motif found from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. Adam is created, you know, naked, and people may think, well, that's just the way, that's the best way people could be. No. <laughs> um, that's not, we naturally can't think that, but the intention was that Adam, as he obeyed, as he listened to God, would be advanced, would experience a kind of royal robing by God. It's so clear that that's intended in the Old Testament because look at all those, you know, relatively boring passages. We think they're boring that describe the priest and the king's garments. And they go on and on and on. Adam was to be robed as a priest king. But of course he never was. We truly see the intention to do that when we come to the second Adam. Jesus Christ in his exaltation is royally robed with the, with the most wonderful clothing one could ever have. The very Spirit of God robes him. He is given God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who pervades and glorifies and shines through his human body. God exalted him in that way. Has God exalted you? Have you been exalted by God? Have you experienced anything of the exaltation to a high, and in fact, the highest position, as we see in the case of Joseph? And you may say to me, well, Adam, what a, what a funny question to ask. How could I be exalted in that way? But, my friend, at the very core of our religion is the idea that, that you can, in fact, be exalted and raised to a place of high power and authority, the highest in the cosmos, in fact. The power and prestige that awaits a Christian is far greater than that found in the White House or in Buckingham Palace. Christianity is about being exalted to the closest possible communion, the closest communion possible for an image-bearing creature to have. We see that in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6 of God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved notice this and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus previously in chapter 1 he said he raised Christ up and seated Christ. But now he says, but he's raised us up with him and seated us with him. How can you be exalted and seated in such a way? There's only one possibility. It is if Christ Jesus is first raised and exalted as the God-man, as your head, as your representative, the second and last Adam. You see, we rejoice not ultimately because Joseph was exalted, as nice as that is to see in the difficult life that he had, but we rejoice because Jesus was exalted. And if you are in faith union with Jesus Christ, that is, if God has brought you to see that you stand no chance whatsoever of, of discerning the good from the evil, let alone doing the good always and only all the time. And if you look to Jesus Christ as your representative who suffered in your place, 
who is exalted to the right hand of the Father for you. He didn't need that. He already had all glory before he came down in his incarnation. He was exalted, Christian, for you. If you have such faith union, you have the highest form of blessing. You have joy inexpressible. As you look at him, seated at the right hand of God the Father, whatever is true of him is true of you because you are united to him. It is that Savior that you need. It is that Savior and no other Savior. It's interesting that uh, Joseph is paraded before Pharaoh as a, as a kind of Savior. In fact, he will be a Savior for God's people. He's, he goes through all this so that he might deliver God's people from the coming famine. But, but you know, even though Pharaoh sees this and, and, and God providentially causes Pharaoh to exalt him, Pharaoh makes no sense of Joseph. Though Joseph again and again tells Pharaoh that, uh, well, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. It's God. Pharaoh keeps saying, well, no, it's you. And, and, and you are the one, verse 38 says, he's the one in whom is the spirit of God. Could be translated as the ESV note says, spirit of the gods, the pagan deities. And Pharaoh is very still clearly committed to those pagan deities because in the last verse, verse 45, he gives him a new name, an Egyptian name. He marries him to the, the daughter of the, the high priest of the pagan pantheon of Egypt. You know, imagine what a difficult set of in-laws that would be to have. And, um, and so forth and so on. You know, it is a challenging situation. Pharaoh can just not understand it at all. And so it is, it, is, it is the Savior that leads us to Christ that we need. And that's so important because there's so many crazy sermons even about this passage. I saw sermons which said, you know, this passage is about how you can get a Joseph job promotion, right? You know, had a pretty good way of getting a promotion. Maybe you can too. Or I, there's even an interpretation that sees the whole Joseph narrative uh, somehow or another as, as proving capitalism. And I'll leave that to you to figure out how that may be the case. But I don't believe it can be, in fact. Uh, No. What we need here is the Savior who is humiliated and exalted for God's people. But don't be surprised if the world can't make any sense of him. And when confronted with the troubling issues of life, the, 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 the deep issues of life, those without Christ will be in the same position as Pharaoh. They'll be unnerved and terrified and distressed. But you're not like that, are you? You, Christian, with the meagerest of faith that you have, with perhaps the least understanding that you have, you know where the world is going. You know of God's Savior who has been humbled and exalted. You can speak in the meagerest of ways to those who are about you who are lost and confounded and bewildered and bring them words of hope. And you must do that. Now as we close, what is Jesus doing for you in his status of being the exalted Savior right now? Because I said all this is leading to Jesus. What what does Jesus do as the exalted Savior? Well, number one, he gathers his people gathers his elect. And it's very interesting, Joseph will do the same thing. Uh, Israel was scattered. Um, his family was back home. Judah, who uh, we learned terrible things about, if you 
read the preceding narrative, he goes and lives among the Canaanites. And the brothers, you know, sold him in slavery. How are they all going to get back together? Uh, they will be gathered through the work of this one. He will bring the whole family down to Egypt. Uh, in praying for them, Jesus is praying for God's providential care of his people. Do you know that Hebrews 7.25 says that the exalted Savior, not, not the Savior on earth or the crucified Savior, the exalted Savior in heaven ever lives to make intercession for you. Do you know that since the time of Jesus being raised up from the grave and seated at the right hand of the Father, he has not ceased praying for you. That should give you great comfort. The Lord will in fact provide what you truly need from his hand. And finally, uh, he equips, the risen Christ equips his people to serve. I read just a few moments ago from Ephesians 2. Let me now read from Ephesians 4. Uh, just hear me out on this passage. We read this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Ascended on high. Exaltation. Skip a couple of verses over. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. There's all teaching offices. He gave all those up so that you, people of God, could be equipped, could be equipped for service, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Notice this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God is equipping you through this exalted Son who gives gifts to men, pastors and teachers and evangelists, that you may grow in him so that you may see the body built up in love. Do you see that as the work of the exalted Christ for you? And therefore your mission, your purpose, is to build up one another in love. I pray indeed that you have found that Christ, the Christ who is exalted in wisdom and in power, he is the one to whom every knee will bend and every tongue will confess. And let us bow our knees and confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Find from him every good gift. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, how we do now thank you for your inspired and inerrant word, the Holy Scriptures. And we pray that you would be with us now. Help us to apply these words which you have given to us. 
we see the one who typifies Christ, who points the way, who shows us Christ. But we must not stop with him. We must possess Christ. We must have the God-man exalted to the true place of ultimate power and authority. Give us the confidence that not one hair falls from our head apart from the rule of our Heavenly Father and the ministry of the exalted Son of God so that we can have confidence and lean on you and find our wisdom in the exalted Christ and know that our power is not an earthly power, but a power which prevails in heaven. We have an, an, an inside man, a man inside the gates of heaven who will bring us there, cause us to persevere to the end as we lay hold of Christ by faith so that we, like him, are building up the body in love as we are being fed by pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists. We pray that we would be fed so that we may serve and see the body built up and growing in love. Be with us now that we may do these things not through our power, but through Christ's. Amen. Amen.